Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. So Father, we want to take a moment and thank you and praise you, God, for the Bible that we have, Lord, that you've preserved it through the ages, Lord. You've promised in the Scriptures that you would preserve your Word from generation to generation. Lord, that in the Scriptures, you would give us all that we need pertaining to life and godliness. And so we look to it right now and remind ourselves, this is the authority, that we believe what we believe, not because it's what we feel like believing, not because it's what feels good or what's popular. We believe what we believe because it's true and because it's found in your Word. And so we we turn our attention to your word. We exalt you and make you Lord of our lives and and turn our ear to your word with the intent to obey, to listen to what you have to say to us. So bless our time. Give us the Holy Spirit and give us understanding as we look to Genesis 29. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of tonight's message is A Long Engagement. I'm talking long. And just, just so you know, I don't recommend long engagements. And this is kind of a fun group to talk about engagements, courting, and dateship, because most of you guys are like in the game right now. You're like, you're in this season right now. It's kind of crucial to you. I don't recommend long engagements for reasons that I will get into uh, in the future here in this chapter. But chapter 27, right? We see Jacob steal Esau's blessing from Isaac. And then Esau wanted to kill his brother. And so Rebekah saw this taking place. And she saw it as a good opportunity to send Jakey away to go find a wife. So what do they do? They send Jake off to Haran, where Rebecca's family was, where Abraham's descendants are from, so that he would marry someone of their lineage, not one of the Canaanites, the Hittite women, which was driving Rebecca crazy. Um, so chapter 28, Jacob sets off on his own. Really the first time, right? Mama gives him a packed lunch and, and sends him on his way, and for the first time, Jacob really experiences God in a special way when he sets out on his own. And we saw that. He had that experience at Bethel where God spoke to him personally. And Jacob's faith became much more real, much more personal to him as he committed himself to him. And here in chapter 29, Jacob arrives at his destination. He, he reaches Haran where he meets his bride, or should I say brides. Uh, verse 1. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. So again, like as we're reading through the scriptures, it's just bam, 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 one event after another event after another event, and you don't get the passage of time, and sometimes you miss the context, not realizing that this journey that Jacob took was about 500 miles of camelback travel. I mean, imagine, imagine basically riding from here to L.A. on horseback. Like, that's the journey. It was weeks of difficult, rough terrain that he just went through, and he's finally arrived. So that's, that's important context for in the future when Jacob reacts a little emotional. I think it helps to understand this was a long journey, and this was kind of an emotional ordeal for him. Verse 2, it says, As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So this regional well, 
These were like the communal hubs, right? And the servant who was sent to find uh, Isaac a wife, he knew this as well. And he went to the same place. He went to the watering hole, to the well. Because this was basically like in a small town, we have like, you know, you have your gas station general store. And in the span of 24 hours, probably one person from every family in that area is going to pop into that store. This is where you get to know people you know, where you hear the city gossip. This is where you get to know who lives in the area. So Jacob, he knows, he understands this. He goes to the well to see if his relatives even live in this area. And he approaches the well and he sees several flocks and shepherds just kind of hanging out, which was, I think, to him an odd scene. Like, why are they just sitting around? It's not yet time to, to, to water the sheep. But evidently, he also makes note that this, this stone that was covering the well's mouth was especially large. So it must have been a big stone. And evidently the custom in this area was that these shepherds would all wait until everybody was ready to water their flocks because the stone, presumably because the stone was so large, it, would, it wouldn't make sense to roll this thing and then roll it back and then roll it. So they'd wait till they had a few guys to roll it away. Everybody watered their sheep and they'd roll it back. So they'd only have to move this big old stone one time. Verse four, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Uh, side note, guys, if like a stranger comes in here asking for me, don't introduce him to my daughter, yo. Like, just have a little more sensitivity than that, right? But the Lord's orch- it's amazing because you see the Lord orchestrating all of this. It's, it's very, very similar to when Abraham's servant went to go find a wife for Isaac. Things just fall in line. And I'll, it's amazing. And sometimes I pray, God, just let things fall in line for me. It doesn't always work that way. But it's working that way for Jacob here. He shows up. The, this first well he stops by, hey, his family does live in the area. Hey, is Laban okay? And he knows I'm here to meet Laban's daughter, really. And they're like, yeah, and here's his daughter. And Jake's like, this is Laban's daughter coming? And he's like, wow, okay, all right. I'm liking this. Verse 7, he says, behold, it is still high day. It's not time for livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. So as Rachel enters the scene and Jacob's like, okay, all righty, here we go. He, he turns to the shepherd and he's like, hey, guys, uh, don't you have somewhere else to be right now? Can you guys kind of skedaddle and give me some alone time here with Rachel? Um, but they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, the role of a shepherdess is not a flattering job. It's not a glamorous thing. This was a job that probably not a whole lot of women did. But what I love about Rachel was she was like this tough cowgirl. You know, she was like roping them doggies and, and, and wrestling them, you know. What is it when you ride the mutton or whatever? Mutton bust. She was a mutton busting woman, yeah. I had to ask Bobby, the guy with the cowboy hat. I know he'd shout it out to me. But she was like a genuine, you know, shepherdess cowgirl. She was a hardworking woman, much like her aunt uh, Rebecca, right? When we met Rebecca, she was the one who would have to go to the watering hole, bring all the water back, and she was a hard worker. Remember, she watered all of the servants' camels, and that was what caught the, the servants' attention. Rebecca, uh, Rachel is very similar in that same way, and I love, 
that her story is very similar to Rebecca's in that when God shows up in Rachel's life to bring about a husband for her, it's in a season when she's just being faithful to work hard. She's just faithfully doing what she's called to do. It's not a glamorous job. It's not an easy job, but she's just faithfully serving. And that's where God meets her. That's where God shows up to bless her. And there's something in that for us, guys. This has been the pattern throughout Genesis, really, as we've seen God bring spouses together. We saw it with Adam and Eve. God created Adam. God gave Adam a job to do. And then God introduced Eve to Adam. It's a a great pattern. And that is that we should be faithful with, with what God is calling us to today and allow God to bring the right person at the right time. Don't live, guys, don't live for the pursuit of the spouse. Don't make that your number one priority because if that becomes your number one priority, your priorities will be out of line. As, as you have to wait, and obviously so many have to wait longer than they want to, and oftentimes that's God's timing. It's, it's not our timing. But know this, that as you're waiting, as God is calling you just to be faithful and wait on Him, it's not because he, he's, he's not wasting His time and He's not wasting your life. He's growing you. He's preparing you to be a spouse that will be a blessing for someone else. And at the same time, He's preparing your future spouse to be a blessing as well. There's a season of preparation involved. In fact, I encourage you, pray for your future spouse, whoever that may be, that God's work would be done in them as well as in you. But you cannot rush this process. You don't want to get ahead of God and make this happen. Because when you jump ahead of God to go out and attain something, you end up receiving something that you're not prepared to handle. You end up, if you jump into a marriage, you end up in in this relationship and you weren't prepared to be the husband or wife God was actually trying to prepare you to be. And there'll be a lot of hurdles to overcome. So, So with your spouse, if they're not ready and you just jump in, then you're going to have a lot of difficulty. God, God is working in us, so have patience. Let God bring the right person at the right time. And do not, do not put your desire for a spouse above your desire for God. I, I understand I was your age at one time. I was single, and I was you know, hoping to get married and hoping to find somebody, and it is a strong desire. It is. The physical, physical intimacy is a strong desire, and so you guys have to understand in this, in this season of life, you have to purpose in your heart not to allow it to get above your desire for God. You have to maintain a healthy desire for the Lord because like anything else, if you put it above God, it becomes an idol. And even if it's something healthy like marriage, it becomes unhealthy if it's placed above God. Marriage, you weren't created for marriage. You were created for God. You weren't created just to be married. You were created to know God, be loved by God, and worship God. And if you, if you allow in this season your desire for physical intimacy, your desire for a spouse to get above God, you're setting yourself up for, for failure. You're setting yourself up for unhealthy relationships. And it will lead you down a path of compromise. You will be willing to compromise morally for the sake of a spouse. Compromise morally for the pursuit of that desire. And it will harm your relationship with God and it will harm your future and it will harm your relationship with your future spouse. Verse 10. 
It says, Now as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. I think they wanted us to know it was his mother's brother. I, you know, kind of emphasize a few times. Now, yes, it's weird. Incest is definitely a thing that is not good and it's not condoned by the Bible. But this was thousands of years ago. Things were a little bit different back then. Culturally, it was safer to marry someone within, uh, as, as they did within the family line. There wasn't as much genetic mutation as we know in studying science. Uh, generation after generation, we're losing genetic information. And so if there's inbreeding, it actually creates physical uh, in, uh, difficulties and deformities and, and birth defects. And, and God does eventually just outlaw in the law when the law of Moses comes along. So yes, it's, it's a little weird here. They're actually cousins, um, but that was, it was way different in their culture. So I had to mention that because they said it was his mother's brother like four times, right? But here, here Rachel comes over, and, and Jacob is liking what he sees. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, this is Laban's daughter. Okay, here you go. Get it together, big guy. Get it together. And he's like pumping himself up. He rolls his sleeves up, and he's like, hey, guys, so is this the stone that takes five guys to, to roll? This one right here? Uh, yeah. And he rolls that thing. He's like, yeah, what? What? You guys want? And, and, Rachel, and Rachel's like, ooh, hunky. He's just strong. You know, you can kind of see this whole thing playing out. Like, so he's totally trying to like get her attention, you know. Let me move that stone for you, gal, little lady. And not only is he, he's not just showing off for her, though. What does he do? He, he opens this well up, and he starts to serve her. He starts to water her sheep. I mean, this wasn't an easy job, to water a flock of sheep. And so he, he, he there, his first impression that he wants to give her is that he wants to serve her. That he, that he wants to be uh, someone who's kind to her, who's generous to her, and who serves her. And again, this is another um, rule that bears repeating that we should follow as well. That, that, is, that is, if you want to be a good candidate as a spouse, if you want to be a good potential husband or wife, be someone who serves. Be someone who practices serving those around you. And don't just serve because like, you want the attention of somebody and then all of a sudden you... You, you get what you want, you stop serving. Be someone who's a genuine servant. And you will be a, ble- a blessed wife, a blessed husband, a blessing to your spouse. As, as long as I've been a pastor and, and gone through pre-marriage counseling and marital counseling, I've never met a couple who delighted in their lazy husband or their lazy wife. In fact, it creates problems, it does. Like a, a lazy husband, a lazy wife, these are common complaints in marriage counseling common. Don't be lazy. Be someone who serves. In fact, this is one of the six practices of a disciple that we like to talk about, right? Worship, read, pray, serve, give, and commune. Be someone, as you pursue Jesus Christ, as you seek to be a disciple of Christ, strive to be someone who serves God by serving those around you. And just just get to the point where it's just natural, don't, don't question it. Don't ask yourself, well, why should I be doing this? Uh, do I really need it? Is it worth it? God always honors a servant. In fact, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, what do you have to do? You have to be a servant of all. Be a servant of all. When you, when you step into a group of people, and in God's economy, the greatest person in that group is not the one who looks coolest or is the most popular. It's the one who's willing to serve the other people in that group, in that community in that family, 
Be a servant. That's what Jacob models for us here. Verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. It's kind of, okay, what's happening here? It's kind of weird. Side note, if you see that stranger that you just introduced to my daughter kissing her, please don't just sit there and watch, okay? Get, at least come and get me. No, it's, it gets a little weird here, but it's, it's easy to think that Jacob maybe was putting on the moves, right? We, we often view this through like the romantic lens. How, how would this be in like a movie in a romantic comedy or something, right? And it's likely not a romantic thing. This was a common greeting in their day, although I'm sure Jacob enjoyed this greeting more than usual. Uh, this really was just a common way of greeting. In fact, in just a few verses, Laban's going to lay one on Jacob. So hopefully it is just a common greeting because that's going to be weird. If it's romantic, right? Uh, However, we see here, Jacob, he kisses her, he greets her, and then he weeps out loud. And this is where people kind of like give Jacob a hard time. It's like, what are you doing? That's so awkward. Like, you're in front of these other shepherd guys, and you're in front of this pretty girl. You're trying to like win her over, and you cry like that? Well, maybe maybe he thought she was into like the sensitive guy. I don't know. But he just weeps out loud. But you can kind of understand, given the fact that he's just traveled 500 miles for the sole purpose of finding a daughter of Laban. I mean, imagine this. The first well he shows up to, hey, it's the right place. The first pretty girl he sees happens to be the daughter of Laban. He's watching God line all this up. So it had to have been emotional. I don't know if I would have wept out loud. But hey, like it, it strikes Jacob. And he's, he's, he's emotional that God is moving on his, his behalf. Verse 12. It says, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. So Laban shows up and he's all excited. He's all Mr. Hospitality, all up front. But he's also Mr. Business up here. He's scheming. Right away, he's scheming. This is Laban. You'll understand this about Laban. Laban knows already how rich Jacob's family is. He remembers when the servant came just a few decades prior and boasting all of Abraham's wealth. So he knows how wealthy Jacob potentially is. And he probably has a good idea why Jacob's there to find a, to find a spouse. And so right away, his wheels are turning. and He's going to use this to his advantage. Laban is what you call an opportunist. An opportunist is someone who's always looking out for number one. They're always looking out for how to make a profit, right? It's like they can't stop thinking about how can I twist this to make it to my advantage. That's Laban. And they're not great friends. They're not great people to have in your life because they will manipulate and they will scheme. Don't be an opportunist, guys. Like, don't be a Laban. Right? Don't be somebody who's always just looking at to get ahead of other people, who's always looking to make a little extra money, who's always striving for the front of the line. Remember, that's not the model of, of God's economy. The servant, first shall be last, the last shall be first. But Laban's kind of one of these guys who's he's going to scheme. Even at the expense of others, he's going to scheme and try to make things happen to where he's the rich guy, to where he's the one on top. That's what Laban's like. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Hey, buddy, you know, you're, you're staying here for a while. Uh, let's say we fill out a W-2 form and get you on the books. You know, it seems nice, but he's actually, 
what he's doing is he's wrangled, he's wrangling Jake into being a hired servant. Like this kid's family, he should be able to stay, hang out. I say kid. Jacob is actually probably about 75 years old at this point in time, which he lives a lot longer than we do. So it may be equivalent to like a 40-year-old, 35-year-old. He's older. He's older in life. Um, but nevertheless, J- uh, Laban's like, hey, it's been a month, buddy. You wanna, let's put you to work. You know, how much, what's, what's your wages? What should I pay you? Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, which means weary, or some scholars believe it could mean wild cow, which very, could, could very well be what he was getting at because the, other, the name of the younger was Rachel, and Rachel means you, female sheep, means sheep. And it just kind of shows you how obsessed Laban was with his business. Right, he's got two daughters. Now, I'm gonna name you cow. I'm gonna name you sheep. My two favorite things and the things that make me the most money. I got this. I got me a car dealership, and I'm gonna name. I got three daughters, and I'm gonna name them Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury. Bam! And I'll get you set up in a Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury. You know, this is kind of like Laban. And and by the way, if you're looking for kids' names, I don't recommend starting with farm animals. You get your farm animals book out. Cow, sheep, goat, goat boy, goatee, goatee, no? Cow and sheep are his daughter's names. Now, Leah and Rachel are prettier. In fact, they're common names today, but that's what they mean. So, verse 17, it says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, it's, it's unclear here as to what it meant by Leah's eyes were weak, some scholars think like she just had bad eyesight. Her eyes were dim. Uh, some think it meant she had like dull eyes or like ugly eyes. Uh, and then some other scholars think it's saying that her eyes were pretty. Like Leah had pretty eyes. Uh, we don't really know. I mean, take, take your pick. The, the, the real clear thing that this verse is saying is that Rachel was clearly prettier and more attractive than Leah. That's, that's what it's saying. In comparison to Rachel, Leah wasn't as pretty, whereas Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, is it right to say that one sister was prettier than the other? It seems kind of shallow, right, to be like, yeah, she, she, she's pretty and, and she wasn't. So, hey, you, the natural you know, uh, pursuit of Rachel took place and ensued. But the Bible doesn't say whether it was right or wrong. It just clearly states what was happening. And it, it is a fact of life. I mean, we are all equal in, in that we bear the image of God, but we are not the same. We don't equate to each other. We all look different. We're not all... Some are more attractive. Some are less attractive. Some are smarter. Some are not so smart. Some are stronger. Some aren't so strong. Like, God has created us in variety. And I want to tell you right off the bat, it doesn't matter strong, weak, rich, poor handsome or ugly, it doesn't matter by the world's economy because in God's eyes, everybody has intrinsic value. Everyone equally bears the image of God. In fact, the Bible says that man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. And there are so many more valuable qualities inside that can make a person attractive than what's on the outside. And, And we need to understand that. I think this is, I'm glad that the Bible conveys something here that seems kind of shallow because it's important to note that this is how people, this is how people work. They judge on the outside. They'll look at you and they'll, they'll make judgments about you. And it's, it is, 
tragically, it leads people into unhealthy relationships. And it's, I, I want to say, as, as it pertains to pursuing a spouse, it's important, it's okay, and it's important that you are attracted to your spouse. Okay? So don't be afraid that God's going to make you marry someone that you're just totally not attracted to. Um, however, when physical attraction becomes all you're concerned with, you're in, you're in trouble. Again, you're setting yourself up for an unhealthy relationship. If, if external appearance is all that matters to you, you will miss out on character that is actually a, more of a blessing in a relationship. I want you to know that as you get married, okay, yeah, you're, you're excited about the honeymoon, but fast forward five years into the marriage, fast forward ten years into the marriage, I want to tell you that physical intimacy is something that can be worked on and, and, and something that can become great regardless of who's together. Okay, we overemphasize the physical intimacy aspect on this side of before you're married. You just do. You're, you're very naive. I was very naive. And you underestimate the value of character in somebody. You know, 15 minutes, a half hour, what are you going to do with the rest of the 23 and a half hours? You're going to sleep eight hours. Are you, are you going to just ignore each other the rest of the time? There's a lot of other important things than physical beauty. And I want to tell you that if your heart is in the right spot, you'll be able to recognize other character traits that are beautiful. I've, I've known, I'm, 30, I'm almost 37 years old, I've met a lot of girls and a lot of guys, and I've met people who are very, on the outside, very together and attractive. And the more I talk with them, the less attractive I realize they are. And then I've met people who, you know, on the outside, maybe they weren't the most attractive. And the more you get to know them, the more you realize, wow, they're... There is something about this person that's attractive. Confidence, um, uh, you know, security, assurance about who they are and about who their God is, most importantly. So be very careful, guys, because I know this is something we can, you guys can really overvalue in, in your stage of life as you seek and, and pursue a spouse. A verse that really helped me, uh, that really gave me like a healthy healthy eyes as I, as I looked for a spouse was First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And it says, and he, he was writing to the women, he said, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair, putting on of gold and jewelry and clothing. Like, don't feel like you just got to doll up all the time. Don't make that what you think true beauty is. He says, verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart of the imperishable, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God, in God's sight is very precious. That you would have somebody, that you would be somebody with a gentle and quiet spirit because that is what's precious in the eyes of God. God here in 1 Peter is telling us men, like, hey, you want someone who's going to be beautiful, not just uh, the honeymoon that first night. You want someone beautiful for the rest of your marriage. Look for someone with a gentle and quiet spirit. And I think it goes both ways, not just for women, but men, that we would be men who have a security about us in the Lord, that we would have a gentleness about us uh, that, that makes us attractive. And if I were to give you guys like the perfect recipe for God bringing two people together, okay, this is it. This is the ideal recipe. If you're writing, if you're taking notes, write this down because this is good. This is good stuff. Ladies, ideally... You would fall in love with Jesus so much. You would get to know Jesus so well 
that you become most attracted to the guys who act like Jesus and that you would know what that's supposed to look like. A lot of women are duped. They get, they get duped by these guys who play the part, who pretend to be good guys, who go to church a few times, and they realize, whoa, as soon as they commit, this dude was not like Jesus at all. So it takes time to prove this out. But love Jesus and know Jesus so well that what becomes most attracted to you isn't this guy's physique or his face or whatever. It's the fact that this, is a, this, is, this guy's like Jesus. He reminds me of, of Jesus. May that be your number one value you seek. And men, pursue Jesus so much so that you begin to act like Him. And in doing so, draw these godly women. Okay? That's the formula. That would be the ideal recipe. If you want to watch God bring someone special into your life, put Jesus first, faithfully serve Him, and let God bring the right person at the right time. Hi everyone, Pastor Sean here. We would love to invite you out to our in-person services. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you.